in a beautiful mountain town in northern BC, halfway between Prince George and Prince Rupert on Highway 16. Smithers, BC is the home to many very talented artists, and I've decided to sit down in conversation with some of them and find out just what makes them tick. Welcome to Conversations in Art. Today we are taking a walk with painter Leah Pipe. So Leah, where are we? We are at my house in New Hazelton, which is about three hours inland from Prince Rupert in northern British Columbia. And we have an amazing view of the Rocher de Bull Range, which is actually known as Stekyoden by Gitsan Nation. And we are on Gitsan territory. Can you describe our surroundings? Yes, it's super lush. So if we look to the east, we'll have a view of the town of New Hazelton. But if we look to the west and we keep our view to the west, we are looking at beautiful kind of inland coastal forest. There's a marsh that's by us and we are surrounded by trees and lilac bushes and willow and a neighbor. <laughs> and yeah, we're in the wild. Even though we're living in a small community, we're in nature. And tell me a little bit about what your community is like. Oh my goodness. The Hazeltons well, comprises of South Hazelton, New Hazelton, Old Hazelton. There's three Hazeltons. And it also has seven Gitsan villages. So there's many communities that form the Hazeltons. I'm doing air quotes. And so there's so many different communities within this area, including the Kispiox Valley, that having lived here for 25 years now, I still see faces that I've never seen before because although we're a small community, it's vast and we're on a vast territory and people are spread out a lot. And this community is probably about 80% Gitsen First Nations and all sorts of people live here in terms of we have doctors and lawyers and Nobel Peace Prize winners and athletes, Olympic athletes. And it's chock-a-block of clever, talented people that I feel like the rest of the province and the rest of the world don't know that. Interesting people that are innovative, living off the land. And that's what I love about Hazleton is that there's so many interesting people here always doing interesting things. Cool. So we're just taking a walk what looks like the end of a dead end street. Yes, that's what it appears to be. But the end of a street is the beginning of a whole little new world. So my little sanctuary is just past this bush. And you can see it doesn't look like anything. But there's this little trail that's carved out of the bush. And it leads to this little creek, which is right beside a train tracks. And to anybody else, it probably doesn't seem like anything. But this is where I go to solve the world's problems, to center myself, to cry out problems, to create all the art that I make. This is where it happens. And even though I live in a little community, I have this little natural reserve away from everybody. And the trail's just down here. It's a brand new trail. Can you describe your art for me? First of all, my, my art's purely selfish. You know, I, I capture things that thrill me and mystify me. And that tends to be creatures from the natural world, including the natural world. And what I love about animals and wildlife are all the, the details that make up their presence, I guess, like their incredible eyes and their feather patterns. And, and so in my work, I really work hard to capture the smallest details and I don't put them on a natural background. So you won't see a painting that has sky and trees and I isolate them from that and I put them on a blank or colored background because what I want is for the viewer to see what I see, which is the beauty of the ring around a raven's eye. Like the details 
in nature are so phenomenal and so perfectly rendered that all I need to do is capture it. That's my job. So Lee and I are walking into a very dense bush, basically. Lots of bugs. Ravens are calling. Yeah, they're escorting us out to the creek. But look how enchanting this is. Yep, look at these fiddlehead ferns. Whoa, look at this bug coming down to land on us. But you can see we're only a few steps from the street, a few steps from the community, and already the bird songs. We have ravens that are escorting us. It's almost like nature starts to open its arms to us, and then we're separating from regular life coming out into the woods. Look at that, Mo. Look at that fiddlehead. Oh, yeah. Isn't that incredible? Nature is incredible. And look at this fallen tree that we have to walk over. So how long have you been here? I'm fourth generation to live here. So I always have this mixed answer where I personally have been here 30 years. But my dad was born and raised here. My great-grandparents emigrated from London, actually, UK. My great-grandfather was a retired chemist in London, and at the time, Canada was colonizing and selling parcels of land to foreigners and calling to pop rural areas and rough areas. And my great-grandfather was one of those people and came and purchased land in the area. And my grandfather was 12 or 13 at the time. And uh, interesting story, actually, they came from London, as I mentioned, and then they didn't know a lot about living in, in the wilds and building a cabin and fending for themselves. And of course, that wasn't the picture that Canada sold them. <laughs> Canada sold them this wonderful paradise, land of riches, and they pictured a little kind of English hobby farm where they would just have high tea at noon and wouldn't it be wonderful? And they had no idea about the challenges ahead and the cold winters and how to insulate a log cabin. It ultimately, within two years, my great-grandfather had a heart attack. Just couldn't handle it. And my great-grandmother, his wife, and my grandfather, 14, they walked off the property and walked into town. And my grandfather then, his name was Frank, was the breadwinner. And he tried to, he looked like me, picture me with gray hair. I'm his doppelganger. And what I mean is he was petite. And so he wasn't a logger type, hunting type. And so he tried to, to support the family and ultimately ended up working at what is now Rinch Memorial, our local hospital. He worked there for 40 years and he was the custodian back at a time when custodians didn't just do custodial work. They ran the morgue. They did the crematorium. They cut patients' hair. They were very involved in the practice, the medical practices, in a supporting role. And he has amazing stories of the years spent there and um, the jokes that they'd play on new nurses that were coming in. He and his other friend, who's an icon around here, a legend, his name's Neil Sterrett. And he, I think he just recently turned 100. Anyways, incredible people, historic people in this area. And they would hide in the morgue when the new nurses were giving a tour of the hospital. They would hide and work under a sheet and of course they'd sit up and be like scare the nurses and so they just had wild times in a wild area but so my grandfather met his future wife at the hospital she worked at the cafeteria her name was louise noonan that's my grandmother and they had five kids four girls and a boy and the boy is my dad so my dad was born and raised here and when he was 18 he wanted to see the world. Like he saw his uncles and men in their 40s here working at the mill, breaking their back. And that's how he saw it. And he was like, that's not for me. He wanted adventure. And the only way he saw doing that and getting out of Hazleton was to either join the RCMP, the Army, or the Navy. He applied to all three and said to himself, 
whoever picks me first, I'm going to dedicate my career to. And the army called first. And so I'm an army brat. And so my brother and I lived all over the world. And I feel like I've had the best of both worlds. I had this gypsy life being an army brat. We lived all through Canada. We lived in Europe. I was 16 in the Netherlands. That was fun. <laughs> it's just life full of adventures, really. And then when I was 25, I came here for a big family reunion and something deeply connected me here. Just the beauty for one was just outstanding. The simplicity of life here was amazing. I loved the quiet. But moreover, people came up to me and they recognized me for my features. They'd say, you Billy Pipe's daughter, are you Frank Pipe's granddaughter? And having been a gypsy and not had that sense of roots or sense of community, it really romanced me. It really opened my heart up to like, wow, I have people here. This is maybe where I belong. And so I've always said that I have I've had the best of both worlds. I've had a life of travel when I was younger, and now I have a life of community and roots. So that's a long-winded story of, am I from here? My answer is yes, I'm from here, but I've only lived here now 25 years. So it's a yes and no <laughs> answer, if that makes sense. We've come out of the bush into a little clearing, and there's a tiny little creek that's as still as a mill pond, and you can hear the buzz of the hummingbirds. Right on cue. When I come here, it's like there's dragonflies, there's ducks that'll go up and down this creek, there's little beavers that'll go up and down this creek, and many ravens, and and I don't know what it is. This tall kind of marsh grass that lines this creek, the wind will pick it up, and there's just something just so soothing to me. And like I said, this is where I've spent my private time is by the creek, <laughs> and only really like friends know that this is my little private space. Everybody should have a place in nature that they can go to. When you're out here, what's your creative process? How, how do you start your paintings? Well, that's a really good question. I have a handful of ways that paintings come to me, and often it's through daydreaming. It's often in this environment where it's quiet. I am inspired by sometimes the sun will be setting in this environment and I can see the horizon line. That silhouettes the trees. And I look, almost everywhere I look, Mo is a painting to me. And I'm so backlogged in terms of inspiration because every day I step out, there's a crow calling me. There is a tree line, a mountainscape that I want to capture. And so the ideas are endless. Artists will talk to me about, how do you deal with creative block? And I go, creative what? Like, I'm so behind. I have creative frustration that I don't have enough days and hours in the day because every moment here and every scene, I think, inspires art. It's so artful. So yeah, Spending time out here, my mind wanders, paintings will come to me. Uh, in other ways, I'll, I don't know how to describe it, but it's almost like a flash vision. And I use that term lightly, a vision. But I can just be meandering and daydreaming and wandering through the woods. And it comes. I don't know where it comes from, but if I blink, it's as though it's in, in, plastered on the undersides of my eyelids. I can see it clearly in my mind's eye. Where it comes from, I'm not sure. But I think when the mind's relaxed, the heart's relaxed, the body's relaxed, and you're feeling joy, then the creative mind, I think, plucks some kind of images you've come across before or things you've read. I don't know where they come from, but all I know, it's almost like a zinger. I call it a zinger where I'm just like, tra-la-la, bam. I can see a painting in its full resolution, what the background looks like, what paint I need to use. My job is to capture this fleeting image I saw in my mind's eye which in time becomes fuzzier. It's almost like the aperture is changing and I can see it. But that's as a photorealist, as a realistic painter, that's I'm trying to capture that flash of an image that I saw. 
So it's an interesting process. A lot of artists want to be creative on their canvas and go, here's my initial vision, but I've allowed the paint to take me to another place. Not me. I want that gem that presented itself to me. And I'll labor intensely. I'm like, I want that. I want to share that. The impulse to, to make art is a mystery to me. Like, why are artists so driven to capture beauty and share beauty and work long hours? I, mean, I love that topic, but yeah, it's a mystery to me. And so describe the actual because your paintings are multi-layered color-wise. There's a million strokes that go in. There really are. A lot of people are really surprised when I post a, a time-lapse or if they're actually at my house watching me paint. They all say in a surprised way, like, we have no idea that all that goes into it. The public murals I've done where people can see all the stages of the paintings. I really appreciate it because they say to me, we had no idea that so much work goes into these paintings. And people have this kind of romantic view of artists that they go, tra-la-la, paint goes onto the canvas, and yay, you're done. They don't think about labor, laboring over a creative piece. But yeah, I start all the paintings in black, so I almost, in a way, silhouette the shape. So if I have a wolf, it's silhouetted black, and then I build layers on top of it. The next layer, for example, would be a blue-gray very dark. Go up into the tones until you have browns, yellows, lighter grays, whites, and it's ultimately the last layer is bright white. But all these different colors, teal, are all in the mix. And I'm going to say the average painting is 17 layers. And each layer, you're painting the same thing, but less and less. So there's shards of color that are showing through with each layer. My most favorite time of a painting is the very beginning and the very end. And inside, in between is labor. <laughs> it's just the necessary thing you have to go through to get the end product. But the most exciting is putting those bright white end strokes on it and just pops that creature right off the canvas. It's, it brings it all to life. About halfway through the painting, it starts to develop a heartbeat and it starts to develop a personality. But that white at the end or the last bright colors, it's down. It's alive. So I work really hard for that moment. I can't wait till that moment's happening. But uh, yeah, it many layers, many brush strokes to create an illusion. That's all that paint is, is an illusion. You're creating an illusion of something that's looking back at you. But it's really just flat. It's on a canvas. It's just paint strokes, really. I've heard you being referred to as the Raven Lady. Are you the Raven Lady? I am. Yes. Tell me more about that. I'm not sure when my connection to ravens and crows began. I grew up as a city kid. I don't remember noticing them then, except for I think my last city place was Victoria, B.C., before I came up here. And I remember at that point just thinking they were very beautiful birds. Their black feathers are just so dark that they have an iridescence and they're purples to them, teals to them. And I just... They're handsome. They're beautiful, handsome birds. And perhaps after I moved here and had more interaction with ravens, there's something that is difficult for me to describe why I love them. And I think a teacher once when I was a kid called me raven. I had black hair and, and she called me her little raven. And how do we all describe? We all have an affinity to something, right? Where people go, I love eagles and I can't describe why. And that's how it is for ravens and crows for me. And learning more about them, living with them here in northern British Columbia, I've learned how, how smart they are, how clever they are, how versatile they are, the conditions that they weather through, how playful they are. And they're steeped in cultures around the world, in folklore. And so they have an impact on people. They have an air about them. And artistically, I started to draw and paint them and capture them. And 
<laughs> it's going to sound silly, but just their feathers are just so stunning to me. The shapes when they're in the air or sitting on a branch, if they're standing, any shape that they take, any pose they take is absolutely beautiful to me. I don't know how to say it more than that, but they are probably one of the most beautiful creatures I've come across. Is it your spirit animal? Oh, gosh. If there, is there another level past your spirit level? They are me and I am them. I don't even know if I would say spirit animal. I super identify with them. I come out into the woods, I think, to, to be in their company. I look to them spiritually, for sure. And something its another level past spirit animal. I have painted probably well over 200, 300 ravens in my career. And it has never slowed down. Like, I can't wait to do the next one. What's that all about? <laughs> what is that all about, truly? I, I think they're fascinating. And I think if I was to be anything else, I would be a raven. I feel I deeply identify with them. I noticed that your paintings each have a little story that goes with it. How do you find those stories? Does the name come first or do you see the painting and then you come up with the name? Or do they go hand in hand? Sometimes uh, the image, the vision comes with a, with a name and a title already there, which is double the excitement. More often, though, a feeling comes with it. A, a, a story or something I'm going through in my life or an observation I've made. And that even though I'm painting an owl or a raven or an eagle, I'm painting it on that day because of something. It's reflecting something that I'm going through. Either I'm challenged by something or I fear something or I'm happy about something or all the myriad things that humans go through. Painting is therapeutic for me. So if I'm going through a hard time, the painting soothes me. If I'm going through a good time, the painting matches that. It's very weird. It's the greatest addiction. It's like happy, paint. If you're sad, paint. <laughs> if you're scared and lost, you paint. And I think creating these, these paintings that have life that looks back at me as I'm building them. And this, like I said, a personality starts to develop with all their intricate beauty and details. It soothes me. It soothes anything that's happening for me as a human to explore the intricacies of their feather patterns or their fur, their position, the power they exude, the beauty they exude, it soothes me. It cures me. So the story comes with it innately. It's my job afterwards to try and put that into words, even though it got feeling, it's a heartache. It's something that comes with each piece. So then I have to put it into a narrative in words that humans, other humans can understand. And I might struggle in that because I'm not a writer, but I'm a feeler, if that makes any sense. I'm feeling something. It's transferred into this canvas. This raven's talking back to me. We're having a dialogue and I have to compartmentalize that into a story for another person to understand the moment that Raven and I shared in that artistic experience. It's a pretty cool life. To see some of Leah Pipe's work, you can go to leahpipe.com on the internet. Today's show was brought to you by Roadhouse Smithers, internationally inspired comfort food. And you can see some of Leah's beautiful paintings hanging up in the restaurant. Check them out on roadhouse-smithers.com. <laughs>